Today is a glorious day. Today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if I was to ask you to describe Easter without using any words, you could only use punctuation, punctuation marks. Which punctuation mark would you use? Would you choose to describe this Easter for yourself? Maybe this Easter is a comma for you. It makes you stop, pause, think, and listen. That's about it. Perhaps today is a downer, a big, bold period. You thought you'd feel excited, but instead, it seems to be more like an empty ritual. You feel like you're not on the, you feel like you're not on the inside, but on the outside, an onlooker. It was on this day when life felt like a period for Jesus' disciples when he was dead. Well, he was dead, he was buried, an end to expectations. But wait, news of an empty tomb. The period is no longer a period. It's a question mark. What's worse? That's worse than a period. Now they're beginning to doubt. Where is he? They're perplexed. The guards are gone. The stone is rolled away. He is not there. And if not there, where? The angel speaks. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and how he must be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Of course, they remembered. The periods are gone. The question marks are removed. There is one massive exclamation point. That's what Easter is all about. An exclamation of gratitude and praise for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and for the, for the salvation his victory over death brought us. Now, as I said, I've titled this morning's message, The Glory in the Resurrection. Because aside from the resurrection story we'll be reading, I'm going to be sharing with you other passages that will show you the glory that was manifested on the day Jesus rose from the grave. So before I get into the word, let's open up with the word of prayer and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we are thankful that you brought us here, that you brought everyone here safely and, and sound, Lord, that, um, that you've chosen them to be here, Lord, that you ordained it from eternity past for everyone to be here at this, in this place, in this moment, Lord. So I ask now that you shut all the distractions off, Lord, that everyone here just focus on you, on what you have to say, Lord. Soften hearts, soften minds. Lord, may we see your glory. May we see your glory right now in this resurrection story. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. We want to fall in love with you, Lord. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Yeah, so before I begin today's message, I want to read the account of Jesus' resurrection through, um, from the Gospel of Matthew. As I read this story, I want you to think about or try to see or look for the glory in the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. After the Sabbath, as, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the woman, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, 
just as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with great fear and joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now that's just one account um, of the resurrection of, of, of Jesus. I would also suggest that you go back and read Luke's, um, Mark's and Luke's and John's account. They all have a different flavor to it, but it's the same story. An amazing, beautiful story again of, of the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, when the word glory comes to mind, what do you think of? Most, most people probably say it's a feeling of praise, honor, and distinction after, for instance, a victory, after winning a big race, maybe um, winning a big battle. For instance, a young soldier may have dreams of achieving military glory. Others may, think of glory the, others may think of the glory of God and imagine a brilliant light emanating from him. Now, not that this is incorrect, since scripture often describes the glory of God like a light that shines brighter than anything on earth. But let me share how the Lexham Bible Dictionary defines glory a key theological term in the Bible that features, that features in God's work of judgment, salvation, and blessing. And the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says this about the word, the singular splendor of God and its consequences for mankind. On the topic of glory, St. Francis de Sales said this, some men become proud and insolent because they ride a fine horse, wear, wear a feather hat, or wear a feather in their hat, and are dressed in a fine suit or clothes. Who does not see the folly in this? If there be any glory in such things, the glory belongs to the, to the horse, the bird, and the tailor. Now, after reading this resurrection story, and using these definitions, let me ask you again, do you see the glory in the resurrection. Well, again, as we gather together to celebrate our risen Lord this morning, I want to share with you three examples of how glory was manifested when Jesus rose from the grave. First example, there is glory in the resurrection because God's glory was revealed. Now, this is the passage I want to read to you about that. It's found in John 17, 1 through 5, if you're taking notes and want to refer to this later on. Before his death, Jesus prayed this in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may, he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. And through his Holy Spirit, or through his Spirit, God did exactly that on the resurrection morning. When after three days in the tomb, when after three days of being dead, he raised Jesus from the dead. Now to illustrate this a little bit further, let's consider a carnation seed. It is small and inconspicuous. Yet within this tiny seed, the blossom is concealed. As long as it stays where it can, where we can see it, there is no blossom. That is no glory to be seen. If, however, we sow the seed into the soil and it dies, it will grow up and then blossom. 
The blossom is, is the release of the hidden glory. The blossoming of the carnation is its glorification. So you see, in a sense, the Lord Jesus is a seed. From the outside, when he was alive, when he was living, when he was walking around, he was a despised Nazarene, the adopted son of a carpenter, and with no beauty that we should desire him. The seed, however, that seed concealed the divine glory. Now, I'll cover that a little bit more later on, but nevertheless, Colossians 2.9 says this, that the entire that the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. But in order for that divine glory to be expressed, the seed had to fall into the ground and it had to die. In other words, Christ would have to die to be glorified. So in that moment, at the, resur- at the resurrection, the glory was released The glory released was the Father himself. And when it shone forth, both the Son and the Father were glorified. See, for the Son to be glorified meant that the Father too was glorified because the Father was concealed in the man Jesus. Therefore, the Son was glorified by his death. And resurrection, and the Father was glorified in the Son by the Son's glorification. When the Son was glorified, that glory was the Father expressed. This is exactly what Jesus prayed for there in John 17 1. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. To be glorified then, is to have the divine nature expressed. This happens at the resurrection. And it is being expressed now and will be expressed for all of eternity. When Jesus told Thomas to touch his wounds in John chapter 20, Thomas didn't have to. He didn't have to touch his wounds. In that account, we're never told that he actually touched his wounds. He didn't have to because he could see the glory of Jesus and why he was able to say, my Lord and my God. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So what does this mean? What does this mean for me and you as believers in Christ? Well, let me give you a few answers to that question. First of all, if you're a believer here this morning, Romans 8.11 tells us that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So not only do you possess God's glory within you, John 17.24 says that one day, we shall also behold his glory in heaven. You see, as you grow in the Lord, the glory within begins to grow and to reveal itself in what you say and do, and in the way you say it, and in the way you do it. So you see, it's not people. It's not you people see and glorify. It's not you at all. They see the Lord and they glorify him. The New Living Translation puts 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 like this. All of us who have had that veil, and what, what that veil is, the veil of ignorance, once all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and, um, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Therefore, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Again, I say that it's not you they see. 
when the Spirit is shining forth and shining bright within you and it's being expressed, they're seeing the glory of the Lord. Now, secondly, the glory of God can't be earned. It's given to you by Jesus Christ when you believe and are born again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 says, He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're born again, know this. From the beginning, from the very beginning of time, He chose you. That's why you're here now, reading and listening intently to His Word. Now, think of all the things you could be doing right now. You could be at Coachella right now in California. You could be at home watching TV. You could be sleeping. You could be at the bar. You could be just anywhere. You could be stuck in a world that is unsatisfying and destructive. The Lord, however, has you here and has chosen you to be saved. His sovereignty and your free will dwell side by side. And one day soon, the final outcome will be that of, well, the, the final outcome of that salvation will be to stand in the presence of the Lord, in His glory, and be with Him forever. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Now, thirdly, you are the fruit of Jesus' glorification. Now, if Jesus had just risen from the dead and um, hadn't produced a disciple after his resurrection, he'd only be a beautiful expression of God's glory. In other words, remember that, um, that illustration I gave you of a carnation. He just would be a carnation. But fruit was produced. And over 2,000 years later, fruit has continually been produced. And if you're here as a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, you are also proof of that fruit. And so when you express him through your obedience, through your words and actions, by his spirit that lives in you, you're not only glorifying him, but you're also glorifying the Father. Jesus also prayed this in John chapter 7, verse, I'm sorry, John chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. This is his praying about us as believers. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved, and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, that was my first example. This is my second example. There is glory in the resurrection because death has lost its power. At the Battle of Inkerman in 1854, a soldier was just able to crawl to his, de- to his tent after he was struck down. When found, he was laying upon his face, his open Bible before him, his hand glued fast to John chapter 11 by his lifeblood, which covered it. When his hand was lifted, the letters printed on the page were clearly traced upon it. And with the ever-living promise in and on his hand, they laid him in the soldier's grave. Those words were, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So you see, this soldier died knowing that death would not be his final outcome because death was defeated when Jesus rose from the grave. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, we read, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fundamental event of Christianity and the basis of the gospel. Now, Peter made several important statements about the resurrection in this verse in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 24. First, it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. The late R.C. Sproul said this, The resurrection was God the, God the Father's way of authenticating all of the truths that were declared by Jesus. Secondly, in that verse, Jesus, Peter tells us Jesus was literally dead at the resurrection, not just simply injured. He wasn't in a coma. Thus, his resurrection wasn't a resuscitation. Notice also that Peter personifies death as an actual force that holds the deceased in its embrace. Death holds you. Death holds that's what it does. It's an actual force that holds the deceased in its embrace. Now third in that verse, death's power was overcome by the resurrection, which means that believers should no longer fear it. I'll tell you another story. A little boy and his father were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon Suddenly, out of nowhere, a bumblebee, a bumblebee flew into the car window. Since the boy, little boy was deathly allergic to bee stings, he became petrified. His father quickly reached out, grabbed the bee, squeezed it into his hand, and then released it. But as soon as he let it go, the young son became frantic once again as it buzzed by the little boy. The father sensed the son's terror. Once again, he reached out his hand, but this time pointed to his hand. There, stuck in his skin, was the stinger of the bee. He says, you see this? You don't need to be afraid anymore. I have taken the sting for you. The Christian doesn't need to be afraid of death. Because as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Isaac read it in the beginning of, of, of our, before worship, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15 verse 55 and 56 says Christ has taken the sting out of death and out of sin and of and sin ladies and gentlemen the glory of the resurrection is the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and because he lives we who know him we who have a personal relationship with him shall also live all over the world right now. Churches have been filled with worshipers. Do you know why? Because there's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. We worship a risen, living Savior who has promised to give immortality to all who believe in His name. Humanity doesn't need to stumble in the fog of darkness, of hopelessness, because there's, there's a light that shines brighter than any noonday sun, offering hope to everyone who's been born again. Now listen to this promise that Jesus made. Jesus made this promise in, chapter, in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So if you've ever asked yourself that question that humanity has been asking since the beginning of time, what will happen after I die? This promise here answers that question. Because Christ lives, you shall also live. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important aspect of the Christian faith and the very foundation of the gospel. Without a belief in the resurrection, there can be no personal salvation. 
The Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter nine verse or ten verse uh, chapter ten verse nine, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you were to remove the resurrection from all of Christianity, if you were to remove it from the equation of Christianity, all you would have is just another religion that follows the teachings of a good but dead man. But again, that's what the, the gospel is. The good news is that he did rise. And he is alive. And at this very moment, he sits the right hand of God, the Father, waiting to greet us in His glory. Thus, my friends, the glory of the resurrection is that death has lost its power. Now, this is my third example. There's glory in the resurrection because the absolute preeminence of Christ over everything else visible and invisible was gloriously put on display. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this text, we find three aspects to the glory of the, resurrected, of the resurrection of Christ. The first aspect is that the resurrection of Christ was, that, that the, at the resurrection, Christ was supremely elevated to the highest extent by God. Prior to his death, Christ exists, existed completely in the form of God. However, his deity was veal, veiled by his humanity. And according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, we're told that he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. But after his death on the cross, in his resurrected glory, the Father answered the Son's prayer and restore to him the fullness of his exalted position as God. Now, Christ is God in, res in, in resurrected and glorified flesh, exalted with the Father into eternity future. So his return to glory is to the same level of eternal preeminence, but now in a form that includes glorified hands with nail scars in them, a glorified body with the marks of his wounds. The second aspect to the glory of the resurrected Christ is that he's crowned. God has lovingly and with favor granted the Son the name which is above every other name. It's not just a name that's above every name. Paul clearly calls it the name which is above all others. Now, what is that? What is that name, you may ask? Well, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it appears that one of them, one of those names, is the Lord, is Lord. In calling Christ Lord, we are calling him Master. In saying that Jesus is Lord, we should be saying that we are in subjection to his authority. So when we see Christ, so when we see that Christ has been given the name which is above all, name, all other names, we think of his lordship. This is the name, the title, the rank which Christ was granted in his resurrection as he answered to his prayer to be glorified. And the third aspect of the glory of Christ's resurrection is really just the logical and natural result of the first two. If Christ is elevated to the highest degree in preeminence of deity, and if Christ is granted all authority as the Lord of all things, 
then it follows that there should be true subjection to him, true reverence and honor and worship of him. So the third aspect of Christ's resurrection is that he's worshiped. Christ has been resurrected. Christ has been resurrected in glory so that he might have the glory of every knee bowing to his name. In verse 11, we see that the purpose of Christ having his glory of resurrection is also that every tongue would confess that he is Lord. To confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord is to agree, not just with our own lips, but with our entire hearts, with our entire being, with everything that is true about this man, Jesus, who is the Christ and who is the Lord. To confess Jesus Christ as Lord is to cling with him with all your hope. You've cut away all lifeboats, thrown all the life preservers. You're in Christ's boat for good, no matter what. All this, all this is what it means to be, to truly worship Christ. To truly give him the glory that he deserves for his resurrection. Now, as I close, start beginning or start to close this message, I hope that these three examples I gave you, with these three examples, you're now able to clearly see, clearly see the glory in the resurrection. The glory in the resurrection is that, the, is that God's glory was revealed. When Jesus rose, the Father was glorified in the Son and uh, by the Son's glorification. There's glory in the resurrection because death has lost its power. Jesus has risen from the dead. Therefore, we who know him shall also live. There is glory in the resurrection because the absolute preeminence of Christ over everything else, visible and invisible, was gloriously put on display. The Father granted the Son's prayer to have his glory restored. And it has been given to him by being elevated, by being crowned, and by being worshipped. Now, those three examples I gave you lead me then to ask these three questions. First of all, is this glory in you? If not, it can be given to you by simply believing in Jesus Christ, placing your trust in him and allowing him to be the Lord of your life. In other words, share in his glory by being born again. Romans chapter 3 Verses 23 and 26 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They, speaking of believers, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his, in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. That he would be Righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. If you're ready and willing to accept God's glory, I will lead you in a prayer to do that. But first, let me ask the, my other two questions. My second question is this. There may be some people here struggling with their own mortality who have been had, who've had those questions, those thoughts, who maybe come to a point in their lives where they see, they start to, I, it happened, for me it happened when I was in Iraq and, and I was in combat and that's when I realized I, I seriously could die right now. And am I ready? Am I ready to die? And some of you may be struggling with those kind of thoughts too. Struggling with your own mortality. Do you know the power of the resurrected Christ. Well, you can leave here today with 100% absolute certainty that when you die, you will live forever in the presence and glory of the Lord. All you have to do 
is kneel at the foot of the cross and have your sins forgiven. On that first Friday, Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place. He took your judgment. He took your sin. He took your death. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And in 1 John 1, 7, we're told the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. At this glorious Easter day, what a time to give your life to Christ, to bend your will to his, to his to let the resurrected Christ come and dwell into your heart and give you supernatural power to meet the problems of the day. There may be some of you feeling confused, lonely, discouraged. Give your life to Christ. Let him transform your life so that his life, so that his light, his glory will shine through through you so that you'll or let, him, let it shine through so that you'll spring in step and joy in your soul, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on in your life. The whole world could be falling apart. You could lose your job, get kicked out of school, you could lose your family, you could lose everything. But the fact that Jesus is in you, that the Spirit is in you, it, it, it changes you. It changes your outlook. It doesn't matter anymore. All that stuff is, yeah, you know, it's stuff that, yeah, will be taken care of. But you know deep inside that he loves you and he cares for you and never, he, he will never abandon you. He will always be there in every step of the way. There's going to be joy, joy in your life unspeakable joy in your soul, again, regardless of your circumstances. And before I lead you in prayer, those who are here or watching, listening online, here's my final question. Do you see the glory in the resurrected Christ? And are you giving him the worship he deserves? If not, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. But ultimately, the choice is yours. But keep in mind, if you decide not to, if you decide to reject that invitation, if you decide if the Lord is, the Spirit is tugging at your heart, the Lord has been tugging at your heart, and you reject it, and you say no, understand this, you may not have another opportunity. You may walk out of here now, and it may be the last moment of your life. You may walk out of your homes and maybe the last moment in your life. I don't mean to sound morbid. I don't mean to sound, but that's the reality of the situation. Are you ready to meet the Lord right now? As we, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. So, whether it's now, willingly, freely, doing it willingly and freely, or when you die, when you're standing before Him in judgment, you will bend the knee. You will bend the knee and you will confess that Jesus is Lord. If you choose to receive Him, God's Spirit will make His home in you. And you will begin, and will begin revealing His glory to you. He will begin to show you things. He will begin to change. He was, he's just going to completely rock your world. He's going to change your whole outlook on life, on this world, on relationships, on your job, everything. You're going to start seeing things through his eyes in, in, in the way that he wants you to. You just simply surrender to him. And as I said, there's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenges. It's not being a Christian isn't, 
isn't always going to be easy. It's not a cakewalk. But regardless of what you're going through, regardless of you know, all the rejection, all the you're getting mocked, you're getting laughed at for believing, for trusting in Jesus, you're going to understand and you're going to see. You're gonna, it's going to be clear to you that all that stuff, again, it doesn't matter because you know the truth. You know the truth that he rose and because of him, you're going to have everlasting life. You're going to live forever. You will be with him for all of eternity, all the mockers, all the scoffers, all the haters, all those that are denying his resurrection. There's a place for them too in eternity. And that place is is hell. And God is a righteous judge. He's giving us plain and, and right there in front of us the plan. It's like, look, I am trying to help you avoid dying in sin, dying in, in, in all that anger and all that hate and all that pain. I'm helping you. I want to just, I'm telling you what you need to do to have joy and peace finally have that, that void that's in your heart to have it filled. I'm telling you that it's in Jesus. That's what we see in the Gospels and that's what we see in the New Testament. Again, one day you're going to stand before him and what are you going to say? What are you going to say when you stand in his throne? In that throne of judgment. Again, as he does, as he reveals himself, your life will change as he transforms you, as he transforms you into the image of his likeness. So if that's you, again, you're here listening or watching or, or um, yeah, listening online, if you're ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're at that place where you're like, yeah, this makes sense, I'm done fighting I'm done. I need him to come into my life to give me meaning. I need him to fill that void that I've been, again, filling with drugs, alcohol, sex, um, pornography, whatever, whatever, is, whatever you're doing to fill that void. He will fill it for you. I've had my addictions. I've had my issues, my problems. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they all disappear. They're still there. But I know that I have victory. I know that I have victory in Jesus Christ. And I know that He strengthens me, He guides me. And as long as I continue to keep my eyes, my focus on Him, I will overcome. Some days I win. Some days I have that victory and some days I lose. But I know that regardless of what happens, he still loves me and he wants the best for me. And he wants me to overcome and he's telling me, he's cheering for me. He's telling me, all right, you messed up this time, but you just keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't stay down. Get up. I love you, angel. I will always be here to hold your hand, to guide you. Trust me. Believe in me. Love me. I will help you. And as the years have gone by, he's taught me a lot. And, and, and the more I walk with him, the more victories I see. I don't have an urge to look at those websites. I don't have a, an urge to look at, you know, to have a drink anymore. I've been sober 10 years can be nine years, I'm sorry, nine years in, in July. Not a single drink. And when I have those urges, I remember how far he's brought me. I remember the pain that it caused my family, pain that it caused my wife. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be brought. I'm not going to be shackled again by that sin. I'm not going to be shackled. 
I'm going to honor my wife. I'm going to honor my family. Because doing that honors the Lord. But let me go back to what I was saying. If, if that's you, if you're ready, if you're ready for him to come and live into your life, to come and dwell in you, and, or you're ready to rededicate your life to him, let me lead you in a prayer to, that, to do that. So wherever you're at, close your eyes, bow your head, close your eyes. And with all sincerity, with all your heart, as, again, you are talking directly to the Lord right now. You are talking directly to God. So he knows whether you're being sincere or not. Pray this with all your heart. Lord, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner and that I've blown it. I'm falling short of your glory. And I understand now that I need to be reconciled to you. And the only way I can be reconciled is by trusting and believing in your Son, Jesus Christ. I confess that he is Lord, and I believe with all my heart (coughs) that he's your Son. And I ask now that you pour your Holy Spirit so that he may live in me, so that my life will be radically changed. Lord, I know you're going to have the an- you have the answers that I'm seeking, and I believe and trust that you will show them to me, Lord. So right now, I trust. And I believe that my sins have been forgiven. They've been nailed on the cross there with Jesus. And I believe in the resurrection. I believe in you. I believe in your son. Thank you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Help me now to walk in your ways all the days of my all the days of my life. Surround me with good people, with good followers, Lord, of you that will help guide and teach me. I love you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that. you will one day also be resurrected. Death is not the end. You will one day live forever. This life isn't, this body, this flesh isn't the end. We have eternity to look forward to. Let us know. If you're you're watching, call us. We'll guide you um, will help you in your next steps as a Christian. And if you're here, let us know. And, and again, we'll, we'll talk to you some more. But you're not alone. Many people have been where you're at. Many people are, are still struggling. But we're here. That's what we're here for, to support and pray for one another. Again, it it is... A beautiful thing. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope and I pray that you see the glory in it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you that you've brought us here, that you're in control of everything, Lord. You are sovereign and you are Lord, and you are God, and 
that will always be the case. Nothing will ever change that. And may we see that, Lord. May we understand that. And may we glory in that. Lord, we do pray you show us your glory. Show us who you are. Show everyone here in a way they understand, in a way they will grasp it. Show them your glory so that they too may fall on their knees and on their faces and just completely worship in awe of you and to adore you, Lord. Lord, humble us. Keep. May we just check that pride, Lord. Show us your beauty. Show us your grace. Pour it upon us, Lord. I pray everyone here has a blessed morning, Lord. I pray you protect and watch them as the day continues. May we have a great time of fellowship here afterwards. We love you so much. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for, God, we thank you for sending your son to die. To die for us. May we always see the glory of the resurrection. Pray this in Jesus' name.